how lucky they must be to, to have the luxury of that because I'm a doctor and it affects me, my family, my kids and my community every day. So I'm just done being politically correct about it. You're wrong, yeah. period. I'll stand behind that. I'll say it to your face and behind your back. Um, uh, the CDC has said racism is a public health threat, period. Right. Um, and again, it's your privilege that allows you to be annoyed by that. We're so proud of you. We're, we're oh. very proud of you. And I'm I'm so happy to talk to a real infectious disease doctor. Oh, I've been struggling. Yeah, thank you for saying that. People ask he's me making, how the work started. But you realize he's making fun of me because I'm oh, ID. Oh, is that what it is? He's making fun of me. I'm ID. I'm usually the one who has to carry the show, uh, both from look-wise. Look at that. Well, what he's not going to do is have me beefing with my people. That's what I, we're see, not going to do. Oh, see. Now the tables have turned. I like that. I like, you know, it's nice. I can turn the ID table off uh, and talk about, you know, let, let you, hate, you know, focus. Um, I was actually at a conference yesterday giving a lecture uh, up in Boston. And it was a talking about anybody. So I'm all talked out. I, we, we, no one wants to hear me. Believe me, they want to hear all you. Right. So I, I, I don't believe that. But thank you so much for this. I think platforms to allow people who have the kind of intersectionality I do is important. Um, the fact that you even find my story interesting is really, really cool. No, we, we want we want your voice to be heard. So let me introduce the amazing guests we have today. Welcome back to Recommended Daily Dose. I am Dr. Clinton Coleman, along with the always the second smartest guy in the room, but now oh. the fourth. Second smartest, best Dr. Dr. Sarad Sugar. We have Dr. Mati Slashiswayo. She is the infectious disease specialist a public health warrior, and congratulations, Director of Health of the City of St. Louis. So congratulations and welcome. Thank you. We are so excited uh, for you to be here. Um, obviously, I'm, you know, in a similar realm, ID. I also, uh, you know, did an MPH before medical school. And, and, you know, I find your work so fascinating. Uh, I do it one aspect, you know, Clint and I in prior practice, but you're really taking public health to a different level. So we want to thank you so much. I know how busy you must be um and taking time to join our small little show here uh well you guys know, are vips i'm 10 days in and uh harold hasn't let me uh, honor these requests yet so um <laughs> oh look at that so harold we paid Shout harold, out to harold. <laughs> it speaks volumes i want to say thank you for having me thank you for caring about the stories of people whose journeys are not always given the same credence as traditional pathways um what you do is so important and the ability for us to just tell these stories in a way that's comfortable, that's authentic, means a lot to me. So I'm just, I'm thrilled to be here and to be amongst my people, ID. That's right. That's right. a lot to me too. So thank I, you. I, I, and I have an MPH too. So look at us. Look so at look at that. You know, if you look at this right back here, there's a bunch of public health books all back here. And there's one. <laughs> he uh, said, check my. Wait, wait, wait. Those, those aren't your degrees though. Those aren't. Uh, no, those are books. Those degrees I bought on Amazon, but these books. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's actually one called Mountains Beyond Mountains, the uh, uh, Paul Farmer stories about, you know, Haiti. So it really inspired me. I'm sure you we all like to know what inspired yeah. you. Why don't we start off with that? So for example, what inspired you? I feel like most people, uh, obviously I'm biased, but, you know, ID, public health are really, really uh, driven. And there's something probably in their life that really kind of made them focus their energies. Uh, do you have some story or something like that that really focused you right in into, into serving public health? Well, I want to start by saying that uh, you'll learn two things about me. When I'm nervous, I have verbal diarrhea. And when I'm excited, I have verbal diarrhea. 
So I give you both permission to cut me off or we can have a sign to, to, to keep this ship moving. No. I could probably talk about any one of these um, questions forever. But it all started back home. You know, I'm, I'm inspired by my culture, by being back home and growing up in Harare, Zimbabwe and mm. seeing what HIV did to my country sure. at a time where there was already political and economic devastation really put the seed. I watched the impacts of HIV basically wipe out an adult population and, mm. and bring the um, adult mortality from the country went from like the average ages in the 60s that you see in okay. countries like that down to like 41, 42. Yeah, sure and, I, sure. and I lived through seeing what that does to an economy, to families, to everything. So I think the seed was there. But really the impetus for me even going into medicine was the death of my father. Um, I was raised by a powerful single mom. My dad was not a present father not through any fault of his own, but because um, he was a war veteran for our country. Zimbabwe gained their independence in 1980, and um, we didn't have the same resources that our colonialists had. And so he was trained by the Chinese. In fact, my father, and most people don't even know his, his true name, because um, when the soldiers came back, they were known by their Chinese-given war names. So my father's known as Mao after Mao really? Zedong, uh, and Mao so yeah. wow. when he come back reintegrating into society and in, in developing countries, you know, veterans hospitals don't exist and Medicare, no Medicaid don't exist. Yeah. And so he wasn't able to reintegrate and he, um, and my mom divorced when I was four mm. and he ended up developing cancer in addition to having chronic diabetes and didn't tell us. So he died what felt like suddenly to me as a child, I didn't get the chance to say goodbye to him. And the guilt I had, the grief I had, and I remember being 15 and thinking the only people I know that probably gave him comfort when he was dying and he had been posted out of the country at the time, so he wasn't even at home, were his medical providers. So right. it was the combination of my father's death and the devastating impact that HIV AIDS had on my country that really inspired me. I always knew it was medicine and I always knew specifically it was going to be um, infectious diseases for me. Obviously, it's the smartest, most academic, most ah. uh, meaningful uh, specialist. We appreciate exactly. that. Ask you, you mentioned political upheaval. I mean, I know in South Africa, there was issues with the government not even recognizing that uh, HIV is a virus that exists. Uh, there was a really a slow rollout of the availability of, in those days, heart or now CART. The same thing happened in Zimbabwe, where there was a kind of where the government just wanted to push it under the rug or just didn't want to acknowledge that there was a problem uh, in populations and, and, you know, invest in the infrastructure for the availability for healthcare for HIV positive patients. Yeah, or you know, it's hard for me because it's, it's funny when you're a child in Zimbabwe growing up, you emulate American culture. So you have fake American accents and you try to emulate the fashion and things you see on TV. Then you move here and you become really defensive and, 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 and protective of your culture. So it's hard for me to answer that question and do so in a way that I don't feel like is compromising what I think is a beautiful country and leadership that have done the best for what they have. What I will right. say is this, the combination of cultural, um, the, the different cultural approaches to, um, to, uh, to LGBTQ plus, um, uh, to, to that community, the combination of just our cultures in general, and then what apartheid and the breakdown of, of, of strong infrastructure for healthcare did, I think worked against most African countries. You know, I remember very clearly being so frustrated watching people not even want to say HIV was a disease and knowing that that had that was probably coming from multiple sources, right? Um, cultural right. complexities, but also um, the moment you admit something is real, you have to 
do something about it. And I, and I personally believe that there was a lot of that. But having said that, I'll also say that leaders that have had to deal with decades of exploitation from you know, the so-called first world leaders and people coming to do research in our communities and not have sustainable plans or exploit us, um, use them for their immediate outcomes and their JAMA publications, but leave no long-term goals, uh, leaves a sour taste in your mouth. So there's, there's honestly a lot of times where people go against the grain because of the way that we've been treated in this post-colonial climate. Um, and that's just scratching the surface, I think. Would you say most of, um, I guess as an ID doctor, um, you both can chime in, but, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, cancer prevention are, are mostly the preventative health issues we deal with in the Western world. Like outside of that is infection really a, you know, the primary focus because we kind of glossed, and this is a segue into um, uh, COVID eventually, but we kind of glossed over malaria vaccine, which I thought was a huge deal. It wasn't really a big deal here for some reason, but around the world, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, people don't realize the impact. Sure. Dr. Coleman, I like I tweeted about that immediately, and it right. annoys me when I can tell. Like, you know, I've had to become active in social media because my passion, as you both know, is around community engagement, and I had to accept that if I truly wanted to be involved in community engagement, I had to show up in person, whether it's at a barber shop or. Um, at a daycare as I as I have in St. Louis, which is right. really why I was proud of the way that I ended up in this job. I didn't even know the job was available. Multiple community leaders said, we're endorsing you for this. We want you to do this. And so it was great to walk into a role that really had been brought to you by people yes. that you respect. But you have to show up in social media. You have to show up in other places. And I'm able to get the pulse of where certain types of um the public think about things and let's be real academic Twitter is the most privileged place on earth. Like we really yeah. just be smelling ourselves and humble bragging all day, but yes. you know, I still have to engage, but I was just really disappointed in the fact that, you know, the things of mine that go viral versus yeah. the things that will get the 10 likes that day. And the vaccine for malaria was one of those things. And it just showed the disconnect and understanding that very question. And right. so for in my country, because of the difference in available services, in available resources and infrastructure, right, we don't have the luxury to focus on a lot of more chronic disease because there is imminent danger from um, easily preventable in these countries infections that are very real and have long-term impacts on the lives of people. So even if you look at the gross mortality and numbers, the morbidity doesn't always get shown and the sometimes small pocket that they um, take up that have devastating impacts, not just on health, but by extension on homes, on family structure because of the way they impact out is also a big deal. But, you know, I'll let you say um, something to my esteemed partner about your thought about infections outside of the U.S. No, I will tell you. Uh, so I run in one of the many hats I wear. I run the county uh, tuberculosis clinic, uh, along with one of my colleagues who's a pulmonologist. You know, and someone came up to me the other day and they said, is TB still a thing? You know, that's what they asked me. I said, it's the number one ID killer, you know, uh, in the world. And so the whole idea is that this disconnect of what happens perhaps uh, in our own little micro, you know, cosms, a little bit what's happening in the bigger world, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, where my family is from, uh, Central and South America. So we live in the New York tri-state area, Coleman and I. So, um, you know, it is a higher socioeconomic status, but there's three international airports, high immigrant population. Uh, so we see, uh, you know, a very large amount of TB, uh, but the average doc, uh, much less the average uh, non-medical person doesn't realize that. So when you say disconnect, I hear you. 
Uh, I walked in the ICU the day that the uh, malaria uh, vaccine was approved, and I was does it affect us? What's what? You know, who cares? I don't think they understood the true uh, uh, impact, the more big the mortality, the, the childhood mortality. Yeah, it's about oh, a quarter, a quarter million kids a year yeah. die from uh, malaria. It's a big yeah. deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah, and, but like I said, that disconnect that, that uh, Clinton uh, alluded to is huge. And I think that's um, obviously us at a much smaller stage, but you in, in the stage that, that, that has been brought to you, and rightfully so, I think it's very important for us to continue to um, uh, discuss these issues. Yeah, and especially like you said in the beginning, uh, especially about uh, communities and populations. Uh, and then Clinton, I think, you know, we'll, we'll get into that, what we saw with COVID, but in communities that, you know, that don't always have a voice. And we're talking about the underrepresented communities, not just the LGBTQ community, but the Latinx, Hispanic, African-American, Native American. And I think that's a good segue for Clinton, you know, because it's something we're very passionate about is, but we dealt with a lot of COVID. We've taken care of thousands of COVID patients at this point. And, uh, you know, just Clinton, why don't you use a segue about in terms of just a disproportionate yeah. uh, effect on, on those populations and how that remains to this day in terms of even low vaccination rates. Are you handing it off to me? Like you see how that I just gave it right to you. Come on, you guys are seamless, man. You guys take are it, take it, and run with it. Take it. <laughs> Smooth. Um, so let me let me ask you this. Mm. I'm working on my transitions. Um, so as as your with your new hat, do you what are the pressing issues as far as public health in regards to I guess particularly race and gender inequality? Um, we know COVID shed a lot of light yeah. on. Um, you know, access to healthcare, uh, and, um, education, you know, resources, you know, none of that has actually changed, but we're just more aware of it. Are there particular areas which you focus on or is it more dealing with, COVID? I guess more dealing with COVID now, but yeah. uh, in the future, can are there certain things that you want to address? I don't think I have that luxury, you know, like right, so yeah. to give a little background, the way that this even became an area of expertise. And it's so funny to say that, but we get to do that in ID in a way the rest of you don't because our right. job is to literally become the expert of the new epidemic and pandemic as it arrives, yeah. right? So, you know, when I was a first year fellow, Ebola. I was pregnant with my first kid, Zika. Um, pregnant with my second kid, COVID. And so, you know, my background is in the care of people living with HIV and that's where the bulk of my community engaged work became. But I found myself pregnant at the beginning of the pandemic bombarded just before I had the baby with a maternal fetal, you know, black maternal fetal health week and statistics that said I was three times more likely to die than white women just by the virtue of being black. Had my baby, I'm breastfeeding by myself, no family, and George Floyd gets murdered. The right. acute and chronic trauma of that without any support while I'm literally trying to keep a child alive by myself in a pandemic, um, completely admit from a place of privilege, because at least I had a house that my kids and my husband and I felt safe in and that we could secure in place, but just completely traumatized. Something of went off in me that I saw it happen for so many of my black and brown colleagues in this country. It was kind of like this enough moment, like we're done and right. we're taking this into our own hands. My entire career shifted. I would still be begging for crumbs in an academic institution that did not honor and value in tangible ways, the work that I was doing, if it wasn't for that. I got the courage to resign. I got the courage to, from maternity leave, start to literally build my new um, yeah. pathway that hadn't been seen before. And it was the devastating impact that I saw COVID having in my community and mm. the righteous indignation and fake shock of, oh my gosh, look at these numbers. And it's like, 
COVID is literally a copy and paste of every other disease that black yeah. and brown people and women um, and minoritized communities are left behind. And that shifted everything. Yeah. So I, then I found myself coming into the space now um, as the new director for an entire city, right? And um, the reason why I had to think long and hard about taking this job is because it's not even as simple as taking it at the beginning of the pandemic where I had the luxury to look at one thing. We're right. almost two years into this thing. I don't have the luxury to ignore other disease. So I see my role as being parallel. Thankfully, I have a, a lot of talented people behind me to help us with the charge. But my immediate concern on the COVID is the pediatric rollout. As you know, you know right. the FDA has said thumbs up for five to 11 five days. To 11, sure. Looks good, but we're waiting for ACIP. And for me, for our local government, also our local state um, health department to give recommendations. But I have to have priorities that are non-COVID related. And in St. Louis, which is one of the highest um, cities for crime in the country, gun violence is up there. We yeah. have chronically been one of the highest areas for sexually transmitted infections. And that's where the intersectionality with um, gender come in and, right. and how women are overlooked and a lot of the issues there. And then mental um, and behavioral health, which has been a chronic issue that is undervalued and where the intersectionality with culture, with immigrant health, with you know different ways that people see that, view that, value it and address it. Those are my three main non-COVID um, mm -hmm. priorities, but I don't have the luxury to do one or the other. It has to be both at the same time. Can I ask you, I mean, what you're referring to, I mean, it seems to be this cultural competency. Mm -hmm. And I think based on our backgrounds, uh, I would like to think that we're culturally competent. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, myself, parents uh, uh, from India, first generation, you know, both doctors that came here. So I think it had that East and West mentality. But um, one was, do, do you think that uh, some physicians will say, well, this is just too much. We have enough on our plate that now you have to force us to AMA or state uh, medical uh, boards will say that, you know, to maintain your license, you have to have some degree of yearly cultural competency. And mm -hmm. I've even had people tell me, like, what's the point of talking about racism or uh, gun violence? This is not the purviews of a doctor. You know, so-called stay in your lane. How do you answer people that may tell us that? It, this, it, it, contrasting from New York City uh, Health Department, re just recently officially saying that racism indeed is a public health issue, which we already knew that for many years anyway. But there are people still that will say, uh, including some of our colleagues who I respect, but they'll say, look, this is just not the purview of a doctor. How do, how do you re retort to them? How lucky they must be to, to have the luxury of that because I'm a doctor and it affects me, my family, my kids and my community every day. So yeah. I'm just done being politically correct about it. You're wrong, yeah. period. I'll stand behind that. I'll say it to your face and behind your back. Um, uh, the CDC has said racism is a public health threat, period. Right. Um, and again, it's your privilege that allows you to be annoyed by that, right? Or yeah. to find that to be a distraction. For the patients I serve, it's a direct and immediate threat. It is the reason behind mistrust and distrust that's making it so difficult for us to provide equitable access to brown, black and brown communities. It's the right. reason I will not tolerate the term vaccine hesitancy. There's nothing right. hesitant about what my community has gone through that started from slavery with multiple examples, Henrietta Lacks, Tuskegee, and current instances of systemic and institutional racism that perpetuates these disparities of which, again, COVID-19 joins a long list of. So I used to be polite. I used to be cute and do the whole bias and implicit bias stuff. No. It's racism. It's yeah. it's covert and overt. There's implicit and explicit bias. And the only issue I see is that we, I feel so bad for our educators. We just have a tough time and have to innovate around better strategies 
to engage people and to teach them and to have better outcomes because the data shows that most people do not believe DNI and cultural competency training to be helpful or done in a way that 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 has moved the needle. There's some really amazing people who are very frustrated because they've dedicated their lives research and we're told much as I don't go into that area, you will not be taken seriously. There's no funding. And Mm. now all of a sudden people are interested in their work and it's being co-opted and exploited by people who see it as a quick way to get funding now that people care. But the real answer is we just need to do a better job of training there. But I I, I personally don't tolerate the whole stay in your lane. You stay, that's your privilege. But I appreciate that. Yeah, go ahead, Coleman. I'll, I'll That's the same up. argument as shut up and dribble, right? You're supposed to just shut up and doctor and, you know, ignore everything else. But, right. um, but yeah, you, 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 you mentioned the CDC has come out publicly and said that, you know, racism is a public health issue. But I know the idea of systemic racism in medicine makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, doctors will say, and with good intention, hey, I've never, you know, treated someone differently based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity. And I know that there was even... Uh, disagreement within the AMA, right? I think there was, there was some controversy there about the AMA was trying to issue a paper and there's some people against this paper saying that, you know, we take a stand at, and understand that there has been institutional um, uh, racism uh, and, and, and wrongdoings in medicine, especially with the uh, vaccine issues that you already mentioned. So I think there's still uh, a lot of self-reflection uh, going on uh, in the mirror. And uh, that's why I really appreciate, you know, how you deal with that and how, how, how we should, you know, on our own level, uh, dealing with uh, colleagues, you know, you don't want to accuse anyone or you don't want to come out combative at the same time. You want to say we're all on the same page. How do we get this down yeah. and, and take care of? But you're right. At the same time, sometimes you can't just uh, be so politically correct and just uh, dance around the issue. You really have to just go right at it. Y'all are going to get me in trouble. I just realized I'm somebody's <laughs> director. See, you guys got me so comfortable that I forgot I took this job the last week and I'm just saying all the smoke. I think press. I'm going to send you the video first and you can look no, at it. No, we don't. Oh, we doing this. We keeping it 100. <laughs> I'm just surprised Harold hasn't like flagged me to say, come on, sis. Do a whole <laughs> he hasn't raised the white flag yet. But they knew what they were getting in St. Louis. So this is really me to a T. I don't know. I just feel like. I think that's what of, we need, though. We need, you know we need, what I mean? we need like, someone like you on. everywhere in every city. So. Yes. Um, can I can I talk about my frustration and um, and you can talk about how you're addressing it? I think we've mm-hmm. done a poor part, uh, a poor job of messaging as far as the vaccine and COVID. Um, you 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 talked about the the, the verbiage of hesitancy. Um, you know, it's hard to fault people for you know not wanting to you know listen to you know the experts. Uh, especially when the experts are changing their mind day to day or giving the wrong message or there's politics involved. Um, what have you done in, in your city to try to fix the, the messaging issue? <laughs> Thank you so much for asking. So I haven't done much because I've only been here a week. But well, what would you do? But- oh, thank you for that question because I just needed this. Um, you know, when I took the job, I was the imposter syndrome set in and I was like, you know, you're fairly young in this field. And while I don't think anyone can really touch me when it comes to my clinical and public health background, because this is what I do, but the legislative, the political, and even the local government experience, I was like, well, what if you, you know, that's where you trip up and it ultimately hurts the region. And then I realized, stop, this is how, you know, women and people of color have imposter syndrome all the time. There's a learning curve that comes with that. But what I was most excited about was the one thing I've been consistent about and have literally taken a leadership role during the pandemic is around this very issue, messaging and education. My talent 
one of my talents is I love education. I love taking complex issues and making them accessible. I do this in my clinical practice and coming out of maternity leave, hit the ground running um, and quickly became established as a medical contributor. I do medical contributing around this very topic for CNN, BBC. I do grand rounds at leading. I just did grand rounds for uh, John Hopkins. Mm. This is my passion. And the biggest thing I talk to people around is language matters. And you use the word hesitancy because you don't understand the history. So when I give grand rounds, I'm not coming with data and the usual high flute and stuff. I take you through very uncomfortable, tangible examples of what these communities have gone through so that when you sit in front of them, you carry the weight of that and you can acknowledge that. I then talk about the fact that doctors are great at many things, but communication is not our area of forte. We're very awkward, a lot of us. And this is the one place that that just happens to be my wheelhouse, right? I talk about the fact that I don't walk into patient rooms, inpatient or outpatient in a white coat. I don't tower over people and and look at them. I sit at a bedside, I pull up a chair, I look at them in the eye. I don't start lecturing because I think I'm so self-important. I instead ask a simple open-ended question so I can actually answer their questions. And then if they make even a hint of the fact that the history and the current issues around systemic and institutionalized racism has impacted them, I immediately acknowledge and apologize, even as a Black woman, because whether or not we like it, all of us are complicit by working for these very institutions that have historically and presently, right, excluded, marginalized, and failed these groups. And I have had grown men at the John Cochran VA cry because someone has finally acknowledged their pain, someone has finally said, I'm sorry. And someone has said, you have valid questions. So again, there's nothing hesitant about that. I then talk about the fact that stop trying to, you can impress me at a journal club. Let's impress each other and one up each other at a journal club or at damn grand rounds. But when we're talking to patients, you need to be a human. I always yeah. talk about the fact that I'm a mom of a five-year-old and a one and a half-year-old that I have a, relate, I have a mom. Yeah. Talk to them in relatable language. I yeah. leave them data talking about how I'm scared of needles and my side effect was my arm soreness, and then I weave in the other side effects. But it's not a time to flex. We can do that amongst each other. You know what right. I mean? So I feel like what I've seen through the pandemic is unfortunately people who don't understand basic communication strategies, education, um, and not enough trusted messengers. Because again, there could be a lot of people, there could be someone who's as good or even if not better than me, who's white and just may not real reach other people. And that's just right. facts. So it's also the fact that we did not lean early enough into the idea of trusted messengers and resources that every time I looked on TV, I hate being on TV. I was overweight from being pregnant. The last thing I wanted was a camera that added 10 pounds. But every time I turned on the news, it was old white men Mm -hmm. and not really a lot of ID people. So representation mattered to me. And my DMs are flooded by people that said, do you know what it meant to me to see a black woman with an Afro who understood where I was coming from? Do you understand what it meant to me to see a black woman with Bantu knots and a print on TV? Right. And also, thank you, you're the reason I got the vaccine. But mm. it matters, right? Um, and the last thing I'll say that I feel like I'm very respectful of the CDC. Rochelle Walensky is a god to me. You know, um, Dr. Fauci is a god to me. And I use that term lightly because I love Jesus, y'all. So that's, I'm just using that loosely before my you know, mama gets That's what people are going to take from this. That's, that's, okay, that's so let me just. You don't want Obama to get upset. I love Jesus, but what I will say is there have been steps where not understanding how the public interprets things were not as clearly thought out through. So this idea right. that we've been inconsistent when we should have been educating people about medicine not being a monolith and that right. things change over time, simple yes. things like that would have helped. But what do you gentlemen think? Those are just some of my take homes. 
I want to just do two two things. One, you mentioned uh, that you know some docs are just not comfortable and awkward, and maybe think of Clinton, but that that's that's a Thank side. I was thinking so, of uh, weight gain on TV. Uh, don't say it. <laughs> no, you know, second thing, I I want to just change, I, I wanted to address on you said actually was very empowering to me. So I have watched in the news many times. You know, I'm at a much different level, but I am a, a weekly. Um, Medical correspondent for Fox Five News in New York City. Mm-hmm. So local stuff, not not the big time stuff flex, you're doing. Flex. No, no. But I mean, I did see it a couple of times. I did uh, MSNBC and all that kind of stuff. But you know, you're the right, the real deal. And you know, after a while, it was exciting to be on TV. Then I was like, okay, who's really watching me? I'm a, I'm just local guy. Uh, besides my mom and her book club. But then when people would ask me, uh, now now I tell you, I do it from here. Uh, but before, I used to go to the studio. It was a whole ordeal. Yeah. You know, you practice. For three and a half minutes to drive in in New York City and come back, it was a big deal. But now things have changed. I can do it from home. But I really appreciate what you said was taking complex issues, dissecting them, and then making them more accessible to the general mm-hmm. public. Um, and then reaching more people. Because actually, when someone asks me, why do I do it uh, still uh, now for a couple of years, um, I realized that's what I enjoy doing. So you really, but much more in a, in a much more articulate way, uh, uh, you know, gave that message through. So I really appreciate that, what you said, because Thank you. you know, you can have uh, different demographics. You know, I'm an Asian male, but I'm still a male. And there are a lot of Asians in medicine. You know, people may say, okay, that's nice. But this guy is just saying what the other guy was saying and just, you know, slightly more brown. But what about someone who looks like me? And I really, yeah. and Clint and I both take this to heart that, you know, we understand that uh, no matter how relatable I might be, how relatable he might be, we can't be all things, all people. And you need nope more people who look like what the population of the United States looks like, which is not what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's a much more, you know. And I want to be clear and just, you know, you said flex and I just, I've been trying to ignore the trolls for the last week, but I just want to say something. Um, <laughs> why does it matter that she's the first black woman this? And why does it matter that right. she's this and that she's that? So let me just, let me, let's get that out. Um, I am the most qualified person for this job. And it matters that I'm a black woman immigrant, both and. And we need to get over it. Is it not yeah. fair? And is it hard for our little egos? Yes, but it, it, it both matter. And so um, my mayor, the new boss, Tashara Jones, is a G because she said, I want to find the most, uh, the most qualified people and I want to make sure that I center equity. And we've got to get over it because it has been so important for both of you. I know it was important for me when I saw your podcast to see both of you. I have you know brown friends for whom it's important to see you. Um, you know, Dr. Coleman, it's important for us too, but we're also highly qualified okay, and well-equipped to do the space as are many other people. And so that conversation just needs to end. And maybe I should not let the trolls get to me, but that's been the whole, that's the only argument the trolls need. Why does it matter that she's, Mm. it matters. No, I think the more, you know, it's not, and it's not for the trolls, it's for our our patients and our our people to know that they have someone that looks like them, can speak the same language and is relatable and has their best interest in heart. So getting your message out is extremely important. And we are proud of the work that you're doing. And I look forward to big things. Would you be interested in running for like a president or something like that? No, but leave me alone. First of all, the constitution, because I'm a whole immigrant. I'm a whole immigrant on the green card. So anybody going to let me in the white. A anything. whole immigrant. Okay. But second of all, you've heard my mouth and this is me being professional. This is me trying to keep it together. It, it, so you're saying, if Her- you're saying if Harold wasn't here, uh, then you would maybe be on a whole different level. You're keeping, you're holding it back a little bit. What I'm saying is if Harold wasn't here, I may have, my job may have lasted 10 days. So oh. I don't think I have the discipline for that. I don't know that I'm even allowed to. I don't think I even want to. 
Today, Harold saw me almost cry because just 10 days in, I missed patient care and I got to go to my first vaccine clinic and we partnered with the Metro Transit folks. So we literally set up a clinic outside the bus station and the main train station in the city. It's raining, it's cold. When I tell you how many people showed up, when I tell you the questions they asked grounded me and reminded me that the conversation around vaccine confidence is not a monolith and the questions have changed. When a young black king said to me, I've got questions about the vaccine, but could you also give me advice about how to get into college? I mean, my mama bear wept. When I tell right. you, so, so for me, I just don't know that I could be in an office all day long because it's important for me to get back to clinical yeah. care that informs my work and the community on the ground care. And I hope that my model will continue to keep both in, but in a serious sense, that's what drives me. That's what's made this work so beautiful. That clinic today just blew me away. Yeah, I think um, it, it's so important to, for people to see people like us, you know, being real and authentic yeah. and not this, not like you said the word monolith, this, I think that has much more impact than any any medication or any anything that we could provide the patients. Just being well, thank you for selves. having me, my authentic self. I plan to have a cuter <laughs> outfit and the time to do makeup and be in my background, but uh, mm -hmm. the job went first, so I'm very self conscious about that. But if we're going to show up authentically, this is what it looks like. Um, <laughs> what you do is so critically important, and I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank you. Well, Thanks. thank you so much. We know how busy you are. I have to tell you, and I know Clinton will will concur. I mean. Uh, we try to, you know, do our prior practice every day, but this is our creative outlet and our passion to do this and to see all the passion that you're throwing out at us, you know, it just reinforces what we already know, which is we have to continue to do this. Well, have us at the back then. I want to come back, shoot. Oh, well, listen, I mean, you're going to continue. Hey, we do, a, we do a, a, a monthly update with you. Hey, hey. can it be like my uh, State of the Union? I can tell you all how I'm doing. Yes. All right. I would love to hear, honestly, that would be fantastic. I mean, starting from now and going forward, and I'm sure all the incredible things you're going to accomplish there. Let's uh, do it. I'll be more behaved by then. No, you are. <laughs> We're not looking for behaved, uh, Dr. Davis, by any means. So, uh, Thank you so much, guys. Where, where can people find right. you, follow you, support you? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I'm that person now. I've never done this before. Watch this. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so I'm on Twitter at Mati capital H uh, underscore ID. I'm on Instagram at, at Mati Zim. I'm on Facebook, just my regular name. Good luck finding it. Um, but I'm just, I was going to say something corny, but really I'm out here in these streets, but I won't, I'm not, you know, but that's how people can find me. You know, we'll do we'll, when we release this episode, we'll, um, Clinton's very good. We'll, we'll put uh, your handles if you like, you know, so that way people can engage with you and because they obviously see how relatable you are and how approachable you are. And I think it'd be great just to, we could send any of our audience your way. Um, Thank you so much, guys. This has been so refreshing and it helps me remember why I'm doing this and to be clear about my missions, goals, and values. So thank you for keeping me accountable. Thank you for caring about the things that matter and for centering equity. Can't wait to come back. Awesome. Well, and thank, thank you. you for inspiring us. We really appreciate it. So uh, until next time, this is uh, Dr. Seward Sagar, Clinton Coleman, my sidekick and or co-host. Uh, we are very blessed today to have such an amazing, prolific guest uh, remember, if you enjoyed this episode, to rate, subscribe, listen. Until next time, be well. Thank you so very much. <laughs>